Well, hello. Thank you for inviting me into your day and welcome to the JCMS CME podcast, the audio companion to the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. I'm Dr. Kirk Barber, a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Calgary. I'm a dermatologist in clinical practice and I'm the editor of the journal. The goal of our podcast series is to provide you with further insight into selected papers that we publish in JCMS by sharing my conversations with the author. It's my hope that the JCMS podcast will present with information that is both timely and relevant to your clinical practice. A hallway consultation, if you will. Today, I'm interviewing Dr. Jensen Young, a dermatologist at the University of Toronto, and the medical director of PERC the Phototherapy Education and Research Centre at Women's College Hospital in Toronto. Dr. Young has also recently accepted our invitation to join our editorial board as an associate editor of the journal. Dr. Young and his co-authors from the University of Toronto wrote an article titled Efficacy and Safety of a Premolast Monotherapy for Moderate to Severe Psoriasis, a Retrospective Study, which we published in our May-June 2018 issue. The article was selected for our Phase 3 CME credit program for its clinically relevant content, and I also felt that the ingenuity of the work was worthy of further discussion. The article presents real-world evidence, which is quickly becoming center stage in our patient evaluations. In our conversation, you'll listen to Dr. Young not only review his article, but he will provide us with valuable insights into his clinical use of a premolas, outlining the risks and benefits from the perspective of a clinician. I know you'll enjoy our conversation as it really brings the manuscript to life. My conversation with Dr. Jensen Young. Okay, so Jensen, what was the purpose behind the study and how did you, how did you conduct it? So for many years now, I've been working with a team of students and residents to look at the to look at the safety and efficacy of different systemic treatments. For, for psoriasis. And that came about when I started having my psoriasis clinic at Women's College Hospital uh, in 2007. And so initially how it started was that there were medical students and residents who were looking to do some research with me. And at the time I wasn't doing a lot of research. And, but at the same time I was, I was treating so many patients with moderate to severe psoriasis, and I was prescribing a lot of systemic agents for them. And at the time, I really wanted to know how well those agents were were working for these patients. And so, um, so before I started this study, I looked at different earlier biological treatments for psoriasis. And then in 2016, there were a number of medical students who were looking for for a research project. And I had been using a lot of Premolas at the time, and I really wanted to know how well it worked in real-world practice outside of clinical trials. I think that was brilliant. I think each of us would, if we look back on our practices, each of us had, would, would wish we had had this brainstorm. And started to put together the the pe- the people we've treated on various drugs and try and in some you know document our experience in some systematic way that you you could then go back and say okay how did it all work and and what does it mean you know what what can I really tell people mm-hmm. about how this stuff works that's brilliant no, that's exactly it and it was more my personal question I wanted to 
I wanted to know how yeah. well it worked. And, and I think at the end of the day, we want to prescribe what we think is the most appropriate treatment for our patients. And at the time, I, along with some of my colleagues at, um, at the two practices at the University of Toronto, were prescribing a lot of apramilas. And so I just wanted to know whether we're, we're treating patients appropriately with this treatment or not. So what'd you find out? So we included 34 subjects uh, at the time um, because the students, they were only working with me in the summer of 2016. And we, um, and at the time, Pramilas was still relatively new. So we, at the time, we could only recruit 34 subjects. And, um, but I, I think that it's, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a decent sample size. In terms of efficacy, we included um, PASI 75 or PGA of zero or one to classify a patient as a responder. And the reason why we use PASI 75 or PGA of zero or one was that, as many dermatologists know in Canada, that PASI scores are not used commonly in, in clinical practice outside of clinical trials. Um, so the measure that's used most commonly in clinical practice is PGA 001, clear or almost clear. Yeah, no, that's right. And it, all, it, it, um, it gets around the business of, I mean, as you point out, PASI we use mostly for reimbursement, mm-hmm. and but we don't use it. You might do it once, maybe twice when you when the person comes in for for renewal of drug. But it's that clear and almost clear story that really gets this real world work um, some value, right? Yeah. So I actually put a lot of thought into what we should use as an efficacy measure, and at the end we decided to use PASI seventy five or PGA of zero or one was because. Um, PASI scores were missing in many patients in follow-up visits. At baseline, I think that we need to include a baseline PASI score for reimbursement purposes. But at subsequent visits, um, it's not that common to have a PASI score. So we we didn't want to exclude many patients because of the lack of PASI scores. So we decided to use a primary endpoint to measure efficacy based on PASI 75 or PGA of 001, uh, because PGA is it's it's used very commonly and yeah, and and PASI doesn't tell the whole story, particularly in people that have a quote a little bit of psoriasis, if you will, so less than that 10, 15 percent body surface area. Mm-hmm. So you did a retrospective chart review, right? Um, you 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 looked at efficacy and safety. Um, you, you, and these are people that aren't on concomitant therapy, right? This is a monotherapy study, as you pointed yeah, out. This is a monotherapy study with apremilis. Yeah. So patients. Yeah, and they may have had they may have had stuff before. Right. So they right? they were not allowed to have phototherapy or traditional systemic treatment or biological treatment with apremilis. So at the end of the day, you're happy with the. The results. What what sort of um, what story? What sort of story did the, your your data tell you? So in our study, we had thirty four subjects, and nineteen of them were considered responders. So that translates to fifty six percent. So we were actually quite 
pleasantly surprised by 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 the results. Right, because that's higher than what was found in the uh, RCTs, right? Yeah, so in esteem one and esteem two, uh, PASI 75 at week 16 was about 29 to 33%, depending on whether you look at esteem one or esteem two. So if you average out to two, it's, yeah, it's roughly about yeah, 31, 32%. So in our study, it was 56%. And yeah, so we were, yeah, we were quite pleasantly surprised by, by the results. That, that's, a, that's a very respectable PASI score. To get a PASI 75 in about 55% of your uh, patients in comparison to what we saw in the randomized clinical trials and suggest that there may be some um, additional real-world evidence to suggest that PASI isn't the whole story mm-hmm. and that people do better on drug, even in the setting of the clinic where th- there's a lot of randomness to attendance and there's a lot of randomness to people taking drugs and that sort of thing. Because we always think, well, gee, in the in the clinical trials, there's strict, right? And people come for their, their visits and part of that placebo effect is the fact that we're looking after them so well. In your world, you're looking after them well, but not as not as consistently and as, as dramatically as we do in the trials. So that, that that's a big number. Yeah. So um, as I alluded to earlier, the, the primary endpoint that we used to measure efficacy was P, PGA of 0 or 1 or PASI 75. So one could argue that it, this is different than in most uh, clinical trials where they usually look at PASI 75 separately and PGA of 0 1 separately and in our study we use one or the other and so one could argue that our our efficacy rate was a lot higher because of the because of the measure that we use but i want to point out that um PASI 75 is is usually easier to achieve than PGA of 0 1 if you look at different psoriasis trials uh PGA of 0 or one, it's uh, the, the the rate is usually lower than PASI seventy five, and in the case of a premolas in esteem one and two, uh, the PGA of zero or one rate, um, it's in the range of twenty to twenty five in that range. Whereas PASI seventy five, it was between twenty nine to thirty three. So um, even if we use PASI seventy five from esteem one and two being twenty nine to thirty three percent, so that's uh, I guess a more lenient measure, our rate of fifty-six percent was still higher than than that. So it's um, so we consider uh, some of the possibilities why our rate was higher, and I think that's something that's important to to address. Yeah, and and uh, and I would argue, of course, that it doesn't much matter what your endpoint is. If you get those sorts of numbers, um, you've got a valuable drug. So let's let's look at um, the issues surrounding side effect profile of the drug. I mean, we've got anybody that's used the drug now understands that uh, there's a ramp up dose and there's some GI uh, issues. And I see in your work, uh, you found people had more headache than you know, might have been expected from from the trial work. So if you could lead us through a discussion of the of the uh, sort of 
side effect profile is experienced by the clinician and how you kind of manage some of that stuff? Yeah, so uh, efficacy is important and safety is equally as important too. So in our study, 23 of the 34 subjects experienced at least one adverse event. So that translates to about 68%, and that's consistent with esteem one and esteem two. In our cohort, um, some of the common adverse events include included headaches, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, weight loss, loose stool, which uh, were also reported in esteem one and two. But what was um, what was different in our study was that the um, the the rate of headache was reported at thirty two percent, which was significantly higher than the rate that was reported in uh, in esteem one and two. And yeah, I we try to we try to to rationalize that and we really couldn't understand why the rate of, of headaches was higher than in esteem one and two and um but in our patients who experience headaches um they were considered either mild to moderate uh, adverse events and none of our patients terminated treatment because of headaches yeah so we, so something to watch out for in the real world but easily manageable. But yeah, I think one thing is that, um, so when we prescribed a Pramilase, we knew what some of the common side effects were. And before we prescribed it to our patients, we would go through those side effects. So we would tell patients about nausea, vomiting, weight loss, loose stool, headaches. And I guess patients were aware of those common side effects. And maybe because they were aware of those side effects, then when we saw them in follow-up, then they were more willing to, I, I guess they were more willing to, to report those side effects to us. Um, and that they, yeah, they, they remember to report to us, to say the least, yeah. yeah. So maybe primed. Mm-hmm. Ver- versus if you're in a clinical trial and you get the side effect list, it's you know, 40, 50 things long. And, you know, there's percentages and there's the graphs and things. But when somebody's standing in front of you and saying, look, it is, it is likely that you are going to, that you may experience, you know, these four or five things, mm-hmm. it's not unreasonable to anticipate that people will um, develop them, particularly given these softer, in quotes, um, side effect, a headache, for example. Right. Um, so, and I think the experience um, that we see reported is that the headache issue is, really one that's easily manageable um, and tends to be something that gets reported less often as time goes on. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the GI stuff. Now, again, we do this ramp up dosing over the first week, which may or may not help folks. And it's been my experience that if you, if, if it happens to folk, to people, it's not been such an issue that it's the drug necessarily has to be discontinued and it tends to improve fair, quite dramatically if people are able to get through that initial four to six weeks. Has that been your experience? Right. I think I was uh, fortunate to be to be an investigator for um, for a Paramalas phase three psoriasis trial. So 
prior to the approval of Epramilase, I had some experience treating patients with this drug in psoriasis. And I got to see some of the common adverse events that were reported by patients in clinical trials. And, um, and I, I noticed that with common side effects such, such as nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, they were more common in the first few weeks of treatment. So when I started using Epramilase, outside of clinical trials, then I, I, then I had the opportunity to tell, the, to tell my patients that these common side effects were more common in the first few weeks and, and they're usually quite mild to most moderate and try to put up with it and it, 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 for the most part, it would get better. And I think, I think, um, I think that, that helped many of my patients. Um, and I don't know if it's because of what I, I told them right before they started treatment that they sort of expected to have nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, that they didn't report as, as much about those symptoms as headache. Um, but, um, but I think that helped them to maintain on the treatment and, and that helped to lower the, the dropout rates within the first uh, 16 weeks. Okay. So the other thing with regard to this drug is its use with other drugs. Now, I know you didn't do this out of your work. Um, so how did you, you, you were involved in another study or, or we've all read the work that combines apremolase with, with other drugs. Um, it seems like a medication that we can use with some safety in the clinic to boost the effectiveness of other therapies. Um, In the real, your real world experience, how, how is, what, what takeaway messages might you give us uh, with regard to that? So with this study, this, um, this was the first study that we looked at uh, a paramilase as monotherapy for the treatment of psoriasis. And we have had a number of other publications that study Epramilase as combination treatment for psoriasis. So those patients were given either uh, phototherapy or conventional systemic treatment or biological treatment along with with Epramilase uh, for psoriasis. And I think how we started using Epramilase as, as a concomitant therapy along with another systemic treatment was because I guess at, when we were treating patients at the two different hospitals, at Sunnybrook Hospital and Women's College Hospital, many of the patients, they were quite recalcitrant to other treatments already. And, um, and many of the, the patients, they were actually referred by other dermatologists to us. And, uh, and at the time, and even now, many of those patients, they don't have many other treatments available to them. So we just wanted to do whatever we could to, to help our patients achieve better clearance. And Epramilase, as, as dermatologists know, it's a very, very safe medication. So we didn't have any concerns using Epramilase with another systemic agent. Okay. All right, so now if you compare and contrast uh, the work you presented to us in JCMS with um, your uh, real-world experience now post-publication or post this 2016 date, 
Has there been any surprises that you, reading your own article, would say, well, uh, I didn't see that coming? Um, or is this, can we look at this article as a pretty decent summary of the way we should manage these folks? I think I'll find out soon because um, currently I have six medical students working with me. And um, so, so as I said, with this, with this study, uh, subjects were seen in 2016. And over the past two years, we have treated more and more psoriasis patients with Epramilase. So I think so far we have more than 200 subjects on Epramilase. And and my students are looking at the efficacy and safety data, and we want to update that very soon. So I think that we will have another publication soon. Excellent. Okay. I look forward to the the next 200. <laughs> um, and uh, let, and thank you for, for your forethought in, in putting together this kind of work. I mean, I, as I said earlier, brilliant. I w- I'm sure... Many of us listening are saying, gee, I wish I'd done that 10 years ago and started to collect this sort of stuff. So so thanks very much. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You've been listening to my conversation with Dr. Jensen Young, a dermatologist at the University of Toronto and the medical director of PERC, the Phototherapy Education and Research Centre at Women's College Hospital in Toronto. In our conversation, Dr. Young provided us with a consultation that will serve us well in our clinical practices. Dr. Young's forethought in carefully documenting his patient encounters was brilliant and allowed for this meaningful retrospective study. He now has information that not only allows us to review his practice with him, but he published his experience for the benefit of others. I certainly wish I'd done something like that in my practice 30 years ago. In the review of his practice, he's able to compare and contrast his real-world experience with the published esteem and liberate trial programs using this drug. In the manuscript, he describes his experience with 34 patients with a mean PASI of 13 on a premolast as monotherapy for 16 weeks. He explains his primary endpoint of PASI 75 or PGA 0 or 1, which is novel and clinically reliable. He advises me that his response rate of 59% PASI 75 at 16 weeks compared to the esteemed trial PASI 75 at 33% was likely augmented by the allowed use of a more potent topical corticosteroid in his real-world practice rather than in the controlled clinical trial. Dr. Young entices with the announcement of his upcoming update to this publication of his experience with over 200 patients on a premolast. I'd also like to refer you to two previous articles in Apremolast, which have appeared in JCMS. In our September-October 2016 issue, Dr. Gooderham presents a review of her clinical practice with Apremolast. And in the November-December 2017 issue, Dr. Jennifer Beaker reviewed the management of the side effects of Apremolast. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you're notified of my next interview. I'm Dr. Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. Thanks for listening. Until our next visit, be good to each other.